This is what you say in English. Every week, you will listen to Frank's professional advice on speaking for exam preparation or for your personal development. You will get valuable advice on how to use grammar, vocabulary, discourse, and pronunciation. This is Season 2, Episode 25. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What You Say in English, the podcast in which I listen to you and give you my professional feedback. Before I get started with today's episode, I would like to apologize for not bringing you a new episode last week. I've been in the middle of mock exams at the academy where I work, and I've been incredibly busy last week and this week. have been full of mock exams. I have several groups and for all of them, we run a full mock exam, and of course, uh, in my classes, I always like to give the best feedback possible. So in terms of writing and speaking, it was a lot of work. So I would like to excuse myself for this. But today we're going to continue. And today I'm going to analyze the English of, let's say, four politicians, Span <laughs> Spanish politicians. Now, I think I'm getting into trouble here because politicians in Spain are not really well seen in general. I would say that people have this tendency here in Spain, and I would say pretty much everywhere, they have the tendency of looking down at politicians, especially when they try to speak another language in Spain. People have the impression that the level is quite low. And which is not, by the way, my, my impression. I think that newer generations and, and for example, here in Madrid, they, they started a program, a bilingual program in, in schools. And I think it's starting to pay off because now, for example, in my classes, I have younger people with a great level of English and in pronunciation, they, they're probably better. I've been here only for 14 years. So I haven't seen much of the change. I cannot speak about, for example, 20, 30, 40 years ago because I was not living in the country. But what I gather from a lot of people is that the level of Spain is really, really low when it comes to English. Then again, well, I don't know. I think it's a matter of impressions, but I get the idea that in general, I would say that younger gen generations are starting to uh, produce very good English. So... Today, I have four politicians and at different levels, and I will try to be as honest as possible and as professional as possible and really say what they're doing great and the areas where they need to improve. So will you join me here today? Let's continue. So the first person that I'm going to analyze today is Pablo Iglesias. He became sort of a character that became famous on Spanish television. He is a Spanish political scientist and he's a former politician because he resigned after some time. During his political career, he served as a second deputy prime minister and as a minister of social rights and 2030 agenda of the government of Spain from 2020 to 2021. 
He also served as a member of the Congress of Deputies from 2016 to 2021. Before that, even, even before his political career, he was a lecturer in political science at the Complutense University in Madrid. Now, according to the research that I've done, apparently he has a C2 level of English. I'm not, I can't confirm this, but at least he would say that he has a C1 or C2 level of English. Now, I have two clips that I would like to show you and tell you what he's doing great and, you know, areas in which I would say, you know, he probably needs to improve on. So let's see how he does. So in this first clip, this was when he was the second deputy secretary. Pablo spoke in an intervention before the United Nations, and he spoke about the measures that the government of Spain had taken to defend workers and companies during the COVID-19 crisis. And when talking about the temporary layoffs, this is the, the problem, the word that a lot of people criticize because he didn't know how to say it in English, a temporary layoff. And in Spanish it's called ERTE, it's, that's the abbreviation of it's E-R-T-E-S, which is a temporary layoff, which is a process in which the company can lay off a number of employees temporarily so they can get the benefits and the company can survive a crisis. And it's a legal process that can be done in the middle of a crisis and the government needs to give permission. So anyway, it was a word that became sort of a trend during that time because a lot of the companies were doing that. And he said that he didn't know how to pronounce it, how to say it in English. So let's take a listen. The priority of our government, our government has been to avoid the closure of companies and, and, and the loss of, of jobs with the ERTES, I don't know how to say ERTE in, in, in English. We have tried to build a social seal, I, and as, I, we, and as I, I said before, to protect the income and, and to protect the, the companies in our country. If you look up the, the video on YouTube, you will notice, for example, that he was half reading something. So he already had something prepared, which in itself is a bit of a shame because I feel that he could have prepared a little bit better how to deliver something in front of a, a respectable audience such as the United Nations. I would say that I would, in my case, I would definitely prepare with an expert or someone. I mean, coming from an, the academic world, he used to be a professor at the Complutense University in Madrid. So if you don't know this, I mean, like for the people around the world, This is the, basically the number one university, public university in the whole of Spain. I mean, I would say that the Complutense Universities is a, it's a place where, you know, has garnered a lot of reputation. In any case, I would say that he could have prepared a little bit better. He hesitated quite a lot. And I think that comes across as being, as not having enough power to really convey a very convincing message. I would say that apart from his hesitation, he had problems with individual sounds. For example, listen to the way he said build. We have tried to build a social seal. We have tried to build, build. He pronounced build. He actually made the diphthong. Build. It's, we don't pronounce the U. And this is kind of a 
rule. It's not, well, it's not actually a rule, but think about it every time or most often when you have the combination of the U and the I, normally that U is not usually pronounced. I mean, listen to the examples of fruit, juice, recruit, suit, for example. We have words like that. And in those cases, we, we don't pronounce the U. We don't say recruit or we don't say sweet or instead of suit, of course. We don't pronounce that U. It's understandable because coming from a language, Spanish language, in which we tend to use the spelling as a guide to pronunciation, it's understandable. But he should know better. I mean, I think that at the C1 level that apparently he says he is, or that's what I've heard, he should know, for example, that in those combination of, of vowels, we don't pronounce a diphthong. We only pronounce the I sound, the E sound. We say build. Okay. In the present, we say build. And in the past, we say built. Okay. With a T sound. But I would say that he's got some awareness of uh, discourse. For example, he said the expression, as I said before, to link a previous idea. He didn't know how to say the word erte in English. It's, I think it's a lack of preparation because he should know better that an erte is just a temporary layoff. And even though the, uh, maybe the, the type, the situation in which a company lays off the, the employees just to save the company from a crisis may not be as common in other cultures. For example, let's say the United States or the UK, for example, still there are things that can be translated and things and the message can come across the message can be conveyed. I think it's just a, it was just lack of preparation. And I think that tells a lot about you as a person. I would say that preparing is essential to any type of situation in which as you know, in his case, he was a political delegate from the Spanish government. I think you have to prepare a little bit more. And that's my opinion. I think it's a little bit of inexcusable in this case. The second clip I have from Pablo, I don't know exactly where it was uh, recorded because I got it from YouTube, but it, they were making a comparison between his English and another politician's English. And I'm just interested in Pablo's speech. He was apparently, he was invited to talk about capitalism against, you know, the left political ideals and and I think he was talking about what the left wing meant to him and what his definition was about being from the left, you know, the left as opposed to the right, uh, left political uh, party wing, you know. And take a listen. A political struggle is a struggle for the meaning of the words. You have to fight with the words. You can be a, a caricature, you can be a something uh, ridiculous, uh, all left uh, militant, uh, alone all the time, crying uh, against capitalism and, and nobody understands. I have to apologize because the clip was cut short. I mean, I didn't cut it myself. The clip was cut short right there. But from this snippet of recording, I can mention quite a few problems with his pronunciation. Definitely not to a C1 or C2 level of English. 
The first one is the initial S sound, which is very common in English, but it's not common in Spanish. I mean, in Spanish, it doesn't even exist. Normally, when words begin with an S in English, they tend to have a vowel in in Spanish. For example, words like study would be estudiar in Spanish. The same country, for example, we, we say Spain, España. So there is a tendency, and this is something that I have observed in my classes quite many times. The students tend to add an E before any word beginning with an S. For example, they would say S student, they would say S study, or S Spain, for example. So listen to how Pablo says struggle. A political struggle is a struggle. Well, he obviously pronounced an E before the S in struggle. And he's not, it's not a problem, for example, if he doesn't make the schwa at the end. I mean, we know that we say struggle, gul. We don't say struggle. It's not a hard E. It's not a very open E. So it's a very dark vowel. And it's a common vowel in English, by the way. And it doesn't matter if the students don't really get that, that sound, because I know it's a very tricky sound to get. It doesn't actually exist in Spanish. So, but still, I, would, I think intelligibility would be improved a lot if he at least became aware of, the, of these tiny differences between English and Spanish. At least if he still wants to pronounce the E before the S, because it makes him feel better or pronounce the, or the words better, I think pronouncing the schwa at the end, I think it would improve intelligibility a lot more. And once you get to, to learn how to use the schwa, I would say that things become a lot easier and it, it greatly improves intelligibility. And talking about intelligibility, there was another word, and I got it only because of context, because the way he pronounced the W in the beginning, that, by the way, it's words, words. That's, that's the word that he wanted to say. It didn't sound like word at all. It sounded like a mix between war, words and war. And of course, that's another uh, common problem that I've heard here in Spain, pronouncing the, the initial W of words as a G sound, like gourds. I don't know. I, I can't even say it. But take a listen. It's a struggle for the meaning of the words. You have to fight with the words. You can be a... He was talking about the struggle for the meaning of the words, but he didn't even pronounce the D. So I didn't know exactly if it was referring to the words or wars, you know, like fighting words, because it, actually what he said later, he said, you have to fight with the words. You can un understand, I guess he was trying to say, but he said, you have to fight. Listen. Listen to what he said. You have to fight with the worst. And it almost sounded like worst. Like you have to fight with the worst. I don't know. He didn't pronounce the, the, the T at the end or the D at the end. But it's, it's part of the intelligibility. I mean, I think being a little more careful with some consonants definitely affects the intelligibility and how people can understand. People will find it very difficult to connect with what you're saying. I would say that 
Whenever you're speaking in front of the public, you have to find a way, even if you have a strong accent, I think you have to find a way in which you can connect with the people. That And I would say that people in general love accents, at least in the U.S. I mean, everybody, and if you ask around, for example, everybody loves the way Antonio Banderas speaks or Penelope Cruz because they have incredible discourse abilities and they know how to get to the, the people, the audience, and they're very careful with the way they speak. I mean, I, I've analyzed Penelope Cruz's English. And, and her English is amazing. Of course, she's got an accent, but, you know, everybody has an accent. Who doesn't have an accent? But I would say that when the accent becomes a problem and a hindrance, you know, something that can prevent other people from connecting to what you say, I think that's, that's an area where you need to improve, definitely. that I would like to talk about is the current prime minister of Spain. Well, they here they like to call it president, but remember that Spain is a parliamentary monarchy. So it has a parliament. It, it's just like uh, the United Kingdom and they don't, politically speaking, they have a prime minister. But anyway, Pedro Sánchez is the current president or prime minister of Spain. And according to the Voice of America, Pedro Sanchez is the first Spanish prime minister with a high level of English. The 48-year-old is among a new class of leading politicians who like to show off their language skills. Now, about him, I can say that he was born and raised in Madrid. And the little I know about him is that he was born to a very well-off family and he had all the opportunities to get a very good education. And after doing a little bit of research, I discovered that he worked and lived in New York for quite some time at a law firm. So I would guess that that gave him the possibility to, you know, develop the, the, the language skill that he's got. And let me tell you, this he is the opposite case of Pablo Iglesias. I mean, it's completely diametrically the opposite case. He is highly fluent and not only the level of vocabulary and grammar control that he's got, he has an incredible demeanor when carrying himself in interviews. Quite recently, he was doing a tour around the United States promoting Spanish policies. And, he, you know, during these difficult times, I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic times, and he was praised by a lot of people. You have to only read the comments in the YouTube videos that I found in which, you know, a lot of people are, were gushing, you know, about his language skills and how fluent he was and how well he managed and conducted himself. So he is a great example. I'm not vouching for him politically. He has his political convictions. I have mine. And this is not a political show. So I'm going to be talking only about his language skills. The following interview was recorded in July 2021, and it was on American television. It was MSNBC. And the anchor from the TV show Morning Joe asked him why he was not going to Washington, and that he was apparently in his tour, he was going to New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Cupertino, but not Washington. So this is what he said. 
I, I believe that in the aftermath of the pandemic, uh, in Spain, we are now uh, defining our roadmap for the modernization of our economy. And for that, we, we need and, and we would like to, to have the U.S. private sector uh, on board. And that is why we're, we're here. We are going to meet uh, uh, very important investment uh, funds. Uh, also, we're flying to L.A., to San Francisco. I think that we are in Europe and in Spain especially, we're living a momentum after the, the, the pandemic. Uh, we have uh, European funds, uh, public investments uh, to, to make greener our economy, to digitalize our economy, to modernize our educational system. And therefore, we're looking forward to engage uh, private investments uh, uh, in Spain. That was such a fantastic answer. What I liked most about it was the fluency and the, the conviction that he imprinted in his speech. I think he must have taken classes, discourse classes, to handle himself in situations, in stressful situations, like a live TV interview. I know it's very, very hard. And sometimes finding what to say is very difficult, but I, he had a very clear mind. He had very concise ideas. And I think the message was clear. There's a lot to unpack here in this short clip. And I'm going to try to analyze the, the best things and the you know, so the areas in which he might need a little improvement. So I would say that in vocabulary, it was excellent. He used words like aftermath. He said, I believe that in the aftermath of the pandemic in Spain. So aftermath is what, what comes after a long battle. Sometimes when you fight for a long time, the aftermath is what is left. It's what you are left with. And sometimes the aftermath is like, usually a very bad situation in which the different elements in a battle are hurt or damaged and, and, and it's what is is the result. So that's the aftermath. He said he referred to the what came after the pandemic, even though the pandemic is not officially over, he said the aftermath of the pandemic. So I think that's a great word. Also, he used the word roadmap. He said, we are now defining our roadmap for the modernization of our economy. That is amazing. It's really great because the roadmap is what the route that you're trying to follow. It's what you set, the course you set in which, you know, you want to uh, follow certain steps and that's, we call it a roadmap. It's uh, of course, it's, it's taken from the context of traveling. So in this case is using roadmap in the route that he's going to take as a president, as you know, the, the different scenarios that he's going to tackle. Another word that caught my attention was momentum. He said, we're living a momentum. So the word momentum is very interesting. A momentum is, as it says, it's a moment, but it's usually a moment that propels people, pushes people. The Cambridge Dictionary defines it as the force that keeps an object moving or keeps an event developing after it has started. So this is what he's trying to describe. He's describing the momentum that they're gaining. I wouldn't probably use the collocation living a momentum. I think I would say that it's more gaining momentum. I would say that that's a better collocation, but I think it's a great, great word. However, there are a few things that really caught my attention because they were misused, especially in terms of pronunciation. The way he said funds, you know, F-U-N-D-S, funds, you know, as the money that you need to, for example, invest in new things. He said it twice. 
And both times it sounded like founds, you know, like, like when you say the past tense of find, listen, listen to the two instances. We are going to meet the uh, very important investment, the funds, the funds, the funds. So he said that we are going to meet the very important, very important investment, their funds, you know, their, the money that they have. And this is the second time. We have uh, European funds, uh, public investments, uh, European funds, uh, European funds. So he referred to the money that came from Europe, European founds. And it's a little weird. I would say that it might confuse people. Of course, from context, you would definitely get that he's talking about the money, especially when he added the word investment. But it, it's kind of weird. It's kind of strange, for example, that he makes a diphthong and not a single vowel sound, which is funds, you know, F-U-N-D-S, funds. Now, the following thing is a grammar thing. Let's see if you can get it. Take a listen. And therefore, we're looking forward to engage uh, private investments uh, in Spain. Did you get it? <laughs> Let's play it again. We're looking forward to engage uh, private investments. So he said that we are looking forward to engage. This is a very common mistake, even at advanced levels. Believing, for example, that that too, that it's part of uh, looking forward to, is actually an infinitive, but it's not an infinitive. It's a preposition. So look forward to is a three-part phrasal verb. And whatever comes after that, the verb that comes after that has to be in the ing form. That's a basic thing. If you go from B2 to C1, you have to know that there are certain two prepositions, not infinitives. For example, when we say, I am used to, we have to use ing. For example, I am used to going. We need to get used to driving. For example, it's that too is not an infinitive. And it's also applicable to prepositional combinations. Like when we say, I am accustomed to, that accustomed to is also the, like get used to. Okay. We have to use an ing and look forward to is no exception. We have to use engaging. So he should have said, we're looking forward to engaging. Okay. So that's, it's understandable because the brain thinks that, or people think that it's just an infinitive form, but that's part of, you know, learning the language. And I still think that Pedro Sanchez is an incredible speaker. He has a great level and he should be a role model for a lot of people out there. And I'm, I'm not going to choose any other clip from any other interview. Actually, this interview is, is wonderful to see because it's the way he handles himself is just amazing. Just looking at him, you know, responding and reacting to the interview so quickly is just a delight. And me as an English teacher, I mean, if, if he was my student, definitely I would feel very, very proud of him. And I'm not going to choose any other. I think it's pretty clear that Pedro Sanchez has an incredible level of English. Okay, so let's continue.
the third politician I'm going to talk about is none other than Ana Botella. She was the female mayor of Madrid back from 2011 to 2015. She became famous after her participation in the candidacy of Madrid for the 2020 Olympic Games. And I, rem I was living in Madrid back then. And of course, when she spoke in front of the committee, I don't know, I think it was quite painful to hear. And just me, just like everybody else in Spain, I felt a little embarrassed. And not because of her. I think, I think that despite everything and despite what everybody says, I think she did a good job. And given that her level of English is not really up to standard, especially when speaking in a stressful situation like that, I, I don't know. I, I think the, the, that her participation was just the culmination of a series of wrong decisions. I think that they should have appointed another person. I understand that she was the mayor of Madrid. She was a woman. I mean, she's a woman and having a woman speak in front of the Olympic committee, it would have sent a very strong message. And I think I have to give kudos to her. I mean, I, I have to congratulate her on learning by heart everything, the whole text, you know, that obviously another person prepared. I mean, the level of vocabulary is just good. I mean, it's not about the, it's about the delivery. And of course it's about the pronunciation. And especially because I would say, I, I would try to venture that her level of English is not really that high. She may have some understanding, obviously not too much because later when, when they were doing the round of questions from the press, she misunderstood a question. She was not using the translator. And one of the reporters from the Associated Press asked her a question about why, for example, Madrid was considering, you know, becoming a candidate for the 2020 Olympic Games. And, you know, the, the level of unemployment in the country has had risen and that, you know, it was a big number and she misunderstood the question. She actually answered in Spanish and she answered something completely unrelated. So I would say that her level of English is not that great. And of course, given that condition, speaking in front of the Olympic committee, just like that, I mean, I think it was a brave thing. But, and the more I think about it and the more that you know, I've talked to other people here in Spain. I think that the more I can empathize with, with her in Spain, there, it's no secret that there is a low level of English, you know, speaking English. I would say that everyone admits to that it's, and it's very easy to criticize Ana Botella, but you don't think that in a similar situation, making, you know, pronouncing a speech, like speaking in a foreign language, especially under pressure in, you know, such a stressful situation, you would make the same mistakes that she made. I don't know. I, I think I would, I, I would need a lot of preparation, of course, and, and English would not be my, a problem at all for me. So if you haven't heard, if you haven't listened to her speaking English, I have this recording that I got from YouTube and I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize her, you know, for free, you know, like I'm not offering, you know, gratuitous criticism. I think there are a lot of things to learn from her. And I would say that the, the weirdest 
the I would say the the more painful things to hear is just the pronunciation of certain words and and basically the intonation. So take a listen to it's it's a little bit more than two minutes. So take a listen to the full speech. Thank you, Ignacio, President Roge, dear IOC members, ladies and gentlemen. I have the chance to speak to many of you in private conversations and also in our presentations in St. Petersburg and in Lausanne. I must say, I like to continue our friendship and frankly, I don't want this to be our last chance to speak to each other. So let me tell you a little more about my beautiful hometown, Madrid. Madrid is one of the most comfortable, charming, and inviting cities in the world. Just like all of Spain, Madrid is an amazing mixture of traditions. You can see, feel, and taste the wonder of Spanish culture in Madrid's parks, its food, its art, and its architecture. Perhaps, those of you who have visited Madrid share this feeling. We have been working hard for many years, so our guests, almost 8 million each year, feel at home. And most importantly, Madrid is fun. The Olympic Games are not only a celebration of sport, they are also a celebration of life. And I assure you, no one celebrates life like Spanish people do. There is nothing quite like a relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor, or a quaint romantic dinner in El Madrid de los Austrias, the oldest part of Madrid. These experiences and so much more are the heart and soul of Madrid. So, later today, when you are considering your choice for 2020, I hope you remember that in addition to the best prepared plan, Madrid also offers you a city full of culture, fun and welcoming people. The magic of Madrid is real and we want to share it with all of you. So what did you think about it? Have you heard it before? Well, if you haven't, this is, this is a premiere for you. <laughs> so it's the first time. But in, in any case, I think, again, I have to say that she did a good job, you know, just standing in front of the people and having memorized the whole thing. I think it's a feat in itself. But, you know, <laughs> a lot of people didn't feel that proud, especially with the combination of Spanish. You know, I think it would throw off a lot of people, you know, the famous, or I should say infamous, relaxing cup of café con leche. You know, it's a relaxing uh, cup of coffee with milk. <laughs> so, I don't know. I would say that I will try to choose a few things, okay? So, the first thing that I noticed was the misplacement of stress. Listen to this segment. I must say, I like to continue our friendship. And she stressed the end of the word friendship. She said friendship. 
So instead of friendship, you know, like in the beginning. Also, when she said this, perhaps those of you who have visited Madrid. And here the way she said perhaps is she said perhaps, you know, with the stress in the beginning when it should be at the end, perhaps. Another moment is when she said this. Madrid also offers you a city full of culture, fun and welcoming people. And instead of saying welcoming people, she said welcoming people. So it's, it's a problem with stress. And I'm not going to get started with individual sounds because her pronunciation is all over the place. I mean, she, the way she pronounced words, world, for example, she said, sounded more like words and, you know, uh, it's, it's endless. <laughs> I think it's going to be hard, you know, just to pick up things that, you know, I, I would say that generally she was so worried about pronouncing every, every word correctly that she forgot that sometimes in English we use connected speech. And listen to this clip by the end of her presentation. We want to share it with all of you. And this is a typical pronunciation pattern in, in which people don't realize that, you know, sometimes we connect words in English. And instead of saying we want to share it with all of you, she should have said, we want to share it. So we say share it. And remember that pronouns, when we use them in connected speech, we use the weak forms of the pronouns. So we say share it with all of you. So it and you should be connected, more connected. Even if, if you have a strong accent. And again, I always use Penelope Cruz's English and Antonio Banderas English as examples of strong uh, people with strong accents, I mean, like foreign sounding accents, but still using connected speech effectively to enhance what they're, whatever they're saying. I would say, again, I think it was a great job. The people learning the whole thing and trying to get the intonation, it's, it's just all over the place. And I, I, I feel sorry for her because I think her intentions were really good and I'm not really sure if that was, you know, the, the last thing that, you know, didn't, didn't convince the, the Olympic committee not to name, you know, decide on Madrid as the, the, the city to host the Olympic games in 2020. And after that, I think the defeat was just unbearable and Madrid did not think about, you know, setting, giving offering themselves as, you know, for another Olympic games. And of course now we're in, you know, going through the pandemic and, you know, I don't think it's, I think some time must pass, you know, before Madrid considers again, you know, trying to be selected as the host city of the Olympic games. The last politician that I would like to talk about today is Esperanza Aguirre. She is, she used to be the president of the community of Madrid. She did it between 2003 and 2012. And she also worked as a minister of education and culture between the years of 1996 and 1999. 
And she also chaired the People's Party of the Community of Madrid between 2004 and 2016. She is a very particular case because she, as just like Pedro Sanchez, she comes from a very rich family. I mean, a lot of people would say that she was born to, you know, golden cradle, as you might say. And she also went to a British school as a child. So her process of learning English has been, you know, since infancy. And you can tell, for example, by the way she talks. I mean, she has this particular refined and posh British accent when she speaks. And I, I found a lot of recordings and she has been invited on many occasions to Vaughn TV. Vaughn is for everybody out there. It's, it's funny because it's in Spain, it's called Vaughn, but it's actually Vaughn. It's a, it's Richard Vaughn is the founder of one of the biggest, I would say empires of English learning in Spain. I'm not saying it's the best. I actually, I quite disagree with many of their methods of teaching, but I have to admit that the guy has, you know, created an, an empire of English learning. He's made great connections and just having Esperanza Aguirre, I mean, a former president of the community of Madrid in his show is a great example of that. I mean, they, they, you know, they know each other. They're kind of friends, you might say. And it's understandable that, you know, someone of her stature was present in, in his show. and. I know, I know that she speaks a wonderful English. So I've heard that she's made some mistakes. I mean, like, but basically slips, you know, like she doesn't, sometimes she loses control, but I would say that generally she has an incredible control of English and in terms of vocabulary, in terms of grammar and pronunciation. Of course, she still has a tint of Spanish pronunciation, like a foreign accent, but in general, you would say that she has a strong influence. She... Also, she says that she's an Anglophile and she loves British culture. She adores, you know, the figure of Margaret Thatcher and, you know, another strong woman and just like herself. A lot of people hate her. I have friends here in Madrid who hate her and, you know, but I would, I would have to say that she was a very strong leader and a, a person with an incredible preparation. So I have chosen a clip when she spoke in the House of Commons in, in London. And just take a listen, and I will, I will be commenting on her English. I like constituencies, and I like that every MP is proud to have gained the confidence of his fellow citizens. And I like the majority system, and I like the independence it grants to each MP. Just as I like that political parties are not monolithic. I like that British people do not tolerate lies in public life. I like fair play. I like question times in the Commons, which is much more effective and direct than our government-controlled system. Deep down, Anglomaniacs like me and Hispanomaniacs like many of you have the same problem. We miss from the other country what we lack in our own. And that is why I think it is good to cultivate a mixture of the two cultures and the two ways of being, like this British-Spanish society does. I truly believe 
that a good mixture of these two ways of understanding life, the British and the Spanish, could be an ideal formula for everything. My pride in being Spanish and my conviction that with a few drops of Anglomania, everything in Spain would work better. And with a few drops of Hispanomania, everything in Britain would also work better. If you watch the video on YouTube, you will see that she was not reading. It did sound a little stiff in terms of like, I think she learned what she wanted to say, but I would probably say because I've seen other, I've watched other videos of other clips and she handles herself really well. And the, the she speaks at the same pace, you know, the same demeanor, you know, the same way, you know, very calm and very quiet, very you know, well-spoken. You would say, for example, that she rolls the R. You would say that it's a Spanish influence, but then again, you would hear the same type of uh, flapping. I, I can't say, I can't pronounce it, but when you say, for example, but in Spanish, we, you would say pero, you know, that R sound, which is also present in some varieties of British English. I would say that she uses a lot of incredible uh, vocabulary. She used the word constituencies. She referred to the MPs, you know, with the, which is a member of the parliament. She also used the collocation of gain confidence. She says that every MP is proud to have gained the confidence of his fellow citizens. So using fellow citizens, that's a great word and, and a very, you know, cultivated one. And I would say fellow, fella, but just very common in American English when you say fella, but fellow in, in a, in a good context, I mean, it, it's properly, properly used in, in this, in this situation. She said that she likes the independence that it grants to each MP, just as, you know, just that she likes that political parties are not monolithic. She didn't pronounce the f sound. Listen. I like that political parties are not monolithic. So she said monolithic instead of monolithic, but that's, that's, I think that's, that makes it a little more charming, I would say. But there was a moment though, in which she, I would say that she lost control of pronunciation because instead of saying lack, you know, L-A-C-K, she said that deep down the Anglomaniacs like me and Hispanomaniacs like many of you have the same problem. We miss from the other country what we lack in our own. So instead of saying lack, she said lock. Listen. Deep down, Anglomaniacs like me and Hispanomaniacs like many of you have the same problem. We miss from the other country what we lack in our own. What we lack in our own. And that change of vowel sound would definitely lead to misunderstanding. It's a loss of intelligibility right there. But I would say that in general, she has a fantastic level of English. She has a, she's very fluent and she doesn't only speak English. I mean, she speaks French and has a working knowledge of Italian, according to her Wikipedia entry. So I would say that she's another role model that you can use. And I would say that generally. I know that in Spain, back in the 60s and 70s, English was not really a language of instruction here in Spain. French was more common. I would say that mm, quite recently that has changed a lot and people are starting. And I can see from my, I mean, in my classes, younger generations 
are starting to change the face of Spanish-speaking people not knowing English. I would say that this is about to change, and probably in in the future, maybe five or ten years, we will see a newer generation of politicians being able to communicate and handle themselves in very well, efficiently in English. You know, learning English is not really very, very difficult. I mean, you'd only have to like it and, and, and start, you know, to use it. You don't have to speak with a native-like accent. You can just speak and use these role models, you know, Pedro Sanchez and Esperanza Aguirre, Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas, you know, as examples of improving yours. I mean, you, you can become just like them, great speakers of English. And that is everything for today's episode. Thank you very much for joining me this week. And I promise that I will prepare my episode. So, you know, things like what happened last week to do not repeat again, because I, I always want to, you know, bring everything and, and have everything ready. But sometimes it's quite difficult because you have so many things to do and you have so many commitments that, you know, it's sometimes it's hard and I'm the only one producing this podcast and, you know, it requires preparation, it requires thinking, it requires planning. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. So, but anyway, thank you very much for joining me. Remember that if you want to be showcased in my podcast, you just have to send me an email to podcast at languageteaching.es and I will be more than happy to let the world know what you can say in English. And also remember that I'm preparing the summer course intensive summer course for the month of August to prepare people for the advanced and proficiency exams. If you want to know more details, also drop me a line. So thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure for me to be with you today and until next week. Bye bye. <laughs>